Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 129. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know we've had a little bit of a break between episodes again. Mostly that's just because of uh, some complications now with trying to transition things back to being in person, especially when it involves venues and COVID protocols and, and bands that are on tour. Just got to minimize the risk as much as possible. But we've got plenty of things in the works and we've got a couple really great episodes to end off the season for you this year, including today's episode, which features Mr. Ronnie Hawkins of the lowest of the low, who is rejoining us on the Adamantium podcast for the second time. And it was great to reconnect with with Ron after. Uh, it's been a couple years, it's been almost three years we worked it out to be, which was at the start of our second season we had him on and now of course we're going into the very end of our fourth season and uh, I hung out with Ron again at his home here in Toronto and we talked about the things that he's been up to, what he's been working on and the main thing being a live album by The Lowest of the Low which is being released this Friday, December 10th it's only The Lowest of the Low's second live album in history the first one came out 20 years ago during their reunion and he explains why these shows were particularly special. The album is called Taverns and Palaces, which is really neat because it is a double live album that was recorded over two nights at the end of 2019 in two of Toronto's most legendary venues. That, of course, is the Horseshoe Tavern and Lee's Palace, hence the name Taverns and Palaces. And it is two discs, 22 songs that span across the 30-year career of the low. And you don't want to miss it because the low are known for their live performances. They're known for the energy that's in the room and that they get back from the audience so definitely check it out and if you do enjoy it you have some fast approaching opportunities to see the lowest of the low in toronto at those very venues actually across december 15th and 16th they will be performing at lee's palace for the 35th birthday of lee's palace and then they'll be performing december 17th and 18th at the horseshoe tavern for the 74th birthday of the horseshoe tavern and then they'll also be doing a set of shows for the 30th anniversary of their iconic debut album, Shakespeare My Butt. So definitely don't miss out, especially if you haven't been able to get out and enjoy some live music again. Like I said, the lowest of the low are known for their live shows, so you will definitely enjoy. In the meantime, let's hear from Ronnie Hawkins himself. But first, before we do that, if you are a new listener to the Adamantium podcast, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in today. And I'm going to ask you all those things that us podcasters ask you to do, and that's hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast network you choose to get your podcast. Give us a great review and a five-star rating. Of course, that helps us out significantly. If you're interested, you can also follow the Adamantium podcast on social media. We're on Instagram at the Adamantium, on Facebook at the Adamantium podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And that's it for now. So let's hear from Mr. Ronnie Hawkins of The Lowest of the Low right here on episode 129 of the Adamantium podcast. Enjoy the holiday season, everybody. Do yourself a favor and do something nice for somebody else. And we will see you back here next week. We're back here again with, with Mr. Ron Hawkins. From the lowest of the low. Thank you again for for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. So I was I was actually looking when our last episode was. For one, it was almost a hundred episodes ago. Oh wow! Yeah, a <laughs> hundred episodes in almost three years. Which I've I've been finding everything because of the way things were in twenty twenty. I find everything feels like one year less than that ago. Right. So it almost feels like two years ago, but it was almost three years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, so you've got this. At the time, you had just put out Shakespeare in my box. Right. Um, now you've got this uh, live album uh, coming out this week. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about the the live album. Why you felt those shows in particular needed to be documented? And yeah, well, it's been. I guess it's been twenty years since we released a live record. Mm -hmm. like the I think the last live record was two thousand and one. Or two, the reunion one, right? Uh, yeah. That was one of my questions. Was it the first live record since? The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only, I mean, there's only two live records: that one and this one. Okay. 
And uh, funny that you say that uh, with the years because we had just released Shakespeare in My Box when I talked to you last time. And then yeah. in between, we've also released a record called Agitpop. Yes. Which a lot of the songs are called from Agitpop, a lot of the ones on the double live record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just felt sort of like maybe it's time. And we also had been touring with um, the Sky Wallace Band. Okay. And this will happen every now and then. I mean, over the course of our 30-year history, there will be a handful of people that... You know, most of our openers we we handpick and we you know we love the bands or whatever. But every now and then, that magical thing that you can't right. quantify happens, which is that you become kind of like an extended family, a mixed mm -hmm. family, and that happened with us in the Skywalls band, and we had them join us on stage. So we kind of thought, well, there's a lot of magic going on in these shows, and it's Lee's Palace and the Horseshoe, you know, two of our favorite Toronto places to play. Yeah. <clears throat> so we just recorded it, and Simon, you know, these days our, our front of house guy Simon. Uh, I th I'm pretty sure he records every show okay. because he can. He's got like a Pro Tools rig that j is just attached to his board. Right. Um, and then this one, we uh, yeah, I feel like we just thought we nailed it, and we and we did some blending of the bands on stage and stuff like that. And we just thought, oh, there's probably some moments here we can capture. Mm -hmm. And there were, you know, over that many uh, over the two nights, I think we were, there were something like 50 songs to choose from. So right. There was lots of material, so yeah. So we just sat down, and then I got all the files and started sifting through stuff and seeing what worked, what didn't work, and and uh, the deeper we got into it, um, just the more I thought, hey, there's a lot of stuff here. We can span the whole catalog. The band sounds mm -hmm. pretty tightened up, and, uh, and yeah. And then we and then we got the idea of calling it Taverns and Palaces because it's you know Lee's Palace and uh, the Horseshoe Tavern, and we kind of a little bit with a, a playful sort of dig, mm -hmm. you know that. Uh, uh, they're not, they're you know they're exactly the kind of bars we love to play, which are sort of like they're not dives by any means, but they're sort no. of like a step up from the that. Step up from that, <laughs> not, yeah, yeah. But two, I mean, two of the most kind of legendary mm -hmm. venues here. One of them in has a legendary right in its title, right in its title, and like uh, have been around forever and are kind of engraved in this city's, mm -hmm. yeah, and. Uh, I mean, we're going to get more on that because you're doing some shows there yeah. coming up. So we're, we're going to touch on that. But one thing you kind of touched on, you had like these 50 tracks that you had to, I mean, and you, your career spans 30 years now. So how did you level it down to these, was it 22 tracks? Yeah, that, it's 22 that tracks. Feature? Yeah. Well, there's the, you know, there's the, the sort of technical side, which is that you go through them all and see, you know, who shot the bed the least. Okay. And then you go, okay, well, these four... <laughs> Are definitely not going on it. Gotcha. Okay. Because the other thing with me was like with the live record, I know that like live records, you know, span the span the whole spectrum of like legitimately what what was there is what you hear. Right. To like the Kiss live records, which have so much added audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know people these days, I mean, the temptation to fix everything. Mm -hmm. uh, is so is so strong because you can pretty much do anything. Right. So I, I just sort of made a pact with myself, like if I'm going to do this, I don't want to like if there's a song that sounds amazing and the and the vibe is great and everything, and and there's one bad guitar note by me or a vocal piece, you know, maybe I'll fix that. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, for the most part, what you're hearing on these records is exactly what happened. There's no added crowd. You didn't want it to be overproduced or no. anything like that. You because that's the thing about us is like you know, and and it surprises me that now that we're talking about it out loud that we've only got two live records because mm -hmm. in the early days we were sort of known that was the big draw was people were like you have to see these guys live because right partially because because they're not pro. I'm doing air quotes right now because yeah. they're not pro like in a way that a lot of other bands are. Um, like stuff would happen every night. Like mm -hmm. you never knew where it was going to, you know, sometimes even if it went off the rails, it kind of went off the rails in a charming way. So, yes. so that, you know, so we wanted to keep that element in there as well. So, you know, that's the thing about live is just like, uh, I just wanted people who heard it to feel like they were in those rooms. You wanted to feel live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, what in your opinion makes like makes the best live record? You know, what are some of your favorite live records and, and what do you think made them so unique and special? Uh, generally, I think it's just, there's something that, like if you look at it the other way around, uh, maybe, I don't know, the way records are made nowadays, um, certainly pop records are made in a different way than when I grew up. Like mm -hmm. the, the records, when I grew up, the thing to try and 
capture in the sort of early in the punk scene or indie scene or whatever was always like we, we've got to try and capture that energy that happens live right mm-hmm. and that's really really hard it's hard to go into a studio which is a much more sterile environment yeah and and capture that sort of kinetic energy and it's and it's obvious why you can't is because one of the elements is missing right which is that that audience the thing with the low is that if we get to that place where we're putting out you know really good energy and then the our audience is very generous and that that energy comes back to us twofold and then mm-hmm. that ramps us out and it goes back out to them and it becomes it this kind of builds. feedback loop right yeah. but in the studio you don't have that you have like glass partition and you have a right. producer and you have, you're in a room and sometimes even the people in the band aren't even in the same room so right it's a very imagine very, it, it gets exhausting too because it's just yeah and you're going over, over, the, over, same over the same thing and yeah and that's another thing about live record is to some degree uh you know, it for, it's very forgiving because, yeah. like, like live at a show, uh, if you make a mistake, you're past that and you're on. You right. know? It's not like in a studio where you're mm-hmm. rewinding and listening to everything with a magnifying glass. Yeah, I've always wondered too if like uh, recording a record is similar. Same thing with acting. Like if you know you can put all your emotion and energy into take one, but by the time you hit take twenty-seven, are you still feeling the same yeah, thing? It's hard you know, to... and same with playing music. It's like okay, here it is for the thirtieth time. Are you really as into it? You know, mm-hmm. whereas live, one it's one and that's it. One and done. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think there's takeaways for every walk of life. Like people, mm-hmm. you know, employers for employees. You know, when they're trying to drag a fourteen-hour day out of somebody, it's like mm-hmm. after probably after six hours. You're not getting to get best out of that employee no. anyway, right? right? So would it make more sense to just have a shorter work week and, you know, in a more intense yeah. process while you're there? So so all that goes into it. And it's like, uh, yeah, the best live records for me are, are those that have that kind of vibe and you can sense the the feedback loop that's there. Mm-hmm. You can almost feel it, you know? And, yeah. And I like, like, like to be honest with you, like, I like to hear some mistakes. I like to hear some, of course, yeah. some you know... The imperfections. Dodgy tuning and so, yeah. you know, because that's, that stuff is real and it, you know, I have the record. So if I want to listen to everything yeah. perfectly nailed, I can listen to the record. Is there any that, that in, in, as you as a music lover too, had always come back to or listen to yourself? For live records? Yeah. Yeah. There's a the clash on Broadway. Um, okay. Yeah. Or, or is it here from here to eternity? I can't remember which, but yeah. one of them is a collection is a live collection and that's got some, you know, and same, same thing with those guys is like, it's all about energy because some of the, those songs are ferociously faster than they should be, mm-hmm. you know, on, and are f- faster than they're on the records. Um, the, the Elvis Costello at the Alma Combo was great. Right. Okay. Well, also, you know, the cool thing about it is for somebody who's at the show, like the uh, Jill and I are always laughing about the Elvis Costello one because there's one guy you hear after every song, like this guy totally <laughs> hammered and screaming. Yeah, I just <laughs> and you can hear it's the same guy. Like, Amazing. Yeah. So on our record too, there's somebody on our record that I recognize. I've over three or four songs yelling, yeah, yeah. we love you, we love you. <laughs> and you could just hear the person, and I'm like, I wonder if they will hear it and go, oh, God, oh that's, that's me. me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boys, I remember that night. <laughs> or don't remember, I don't that, remember night. that night. But it's here. Now yeah. I can remember it. That's amazing. Um, the single that was picked from the live album is a song called When She Falls, mm-hmm. uh, which was from the album you mentioned, Ajipop. Ajipop, yeah. Yeah, so what, what made you pick this song out of the group that, that felt like uh, the one to kind of promote the album or push it out there uh, it was uh, pro- partially because it's a vibe I think that we're, we've been leaning into we were leaning into more in Agitpop than we had earlier which is this kind of what we're kind of thinking of as like punk soul kind of thing it's okay. got a very soul like Motowny Staxy kind of soul vibe to it mm-hmm. but of course with the sort of jaggedier sharper guitars on it and stuff yeah. like that and it was making me think of things like Train in Vain by The Clash or whatever where it's very much a, th- a throwback to soul and stuff like that but um, you know our way of delivering it and then we have a horn section that we use often that we call the legitimizers because okay. my joke is always like no matter what we're doing if they play on it it sounds legitimate so mm-hmm. so they're the legitimizers so they came came to those shows and they played and uh, I was just blown away by how good they were in fact recently I was having a conversation with Lawrence uh, and he said to me he had been talking to Steven who's the trumpet player and he said he's like that version uh, on that you guys released as the single he's like was that touched up at all or anything? And Lawrence was like, no, Ron just mixed it. And he's like, wow, I really nailed that. So, <laughs> so he was quite impressed with himself because he thought I had yeah. fixed everything, right? Yeah. 
I'm like, no, shit. It's like, that's, they're, they're just very, so very good. And then, you know, a cool thing about live records too that I love, mm-hmm. and it happened on this one, probably three or four spots, is um, there's a song called Night of a Thousand Guns, which, you know, you record the album and then you go out and you're playing and you're on the road and everything. And you, this ha- almost always happens like four months in to touring or something like that. You do something one night or somebody comes up with something one night and you're like, oh, shit, that should have been on the record, right? And yeah. It's not on the document, right? Right. So I guess these people have seen it. So then when a, when a, when a live record comes around, it's an opportunity to have that stuff out there, you know, yeah. existing. So there's three or four moments like that. There's a line at the end of Night of a Thousand Guns. There's a couple things I, I started singing later, sort of vampy things I started yeah. doing that I'm glad are now documented somewhere. Yeah. I mean, what what I loved too was about that song, When She Falls, is actually, I hadn't heard that song yet. Mm-hmm. And so even though I think I listened through a J-pop before, I didn't, I, I didn't really know that song. And um, it got me to look into it. And, and there's, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you because it, it is a, 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 I love some of the lyrics in that in that song a lot, um, and it's this really kind of strange almost like love story mm-hmm. when she falls. And there was lines I found really interesting. It's a couple that I picked out where, who swallows propaganda when she lies? Who struggles just to stay afloat when she cries? And the other one was, I love her like a freight train, like a roller coaster, a Mayakovsky poster. And so I was wondering if you could, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that song. What you know, what. What was going through your head when you when you wrote it? Right. Um, well, strangely enough, this is one of the like uh, that other song I was mentioning, "Night of a Thousand Guns," and "When She Falls" were songs from a band called Popular Front that we had before "Lowest of the Low." Okay. And they were kind of sitting around. Wow. And I now say, you know, it's like after we recorded them and and put them on Agipop, I was saying like I I don't understand why we never released them. Yeah. Like I'm I'm shocked that they didn't go on Shakespeare in My Butt because. They were around just before we became lowest of the low, right? And so they would have been in there. And I think I think the answer to that question is probably like we were so young with Shakespeare in my butt and so cocky and so and I had written so much new stuff. I think we were like that's that shit's six months old. We can't put that on a record, right? Right. That's old news, right? Yeah. So I'm like, so flash forward thirty years, yeah, and then decide, you know, hey, these things have legs, and that, you know, I tweaked them in a couple places, like. The version Popular Front played of When She Falls is funny because we were probably, I don't know, we might have been like 19 or something like that, mm-hmm. 20 years old, and it was like, they're way faster, like the groove, there's right. the pocket isn't there at all, like it doesn't okay. groove like this one does. Right. And I think maybe that's kind of a cool This is a bit of musical maturity. That we, we needed, can, so yeah, we needed yeah. to grow up a bit and slow down a little bit and sort of find that groove. So what was it like then, kind of reflecting on lyrics that were 30 years old or something that you were feeling then um, yeah. did it still apply or did you have to kind of tweak it in, yeah in I was surprised head? how yeah. much it still applied and and I did tweak a few things but those things that you mentioned are uh, from the day and it's like you know I, I, I think we probably talked about this last time we were here but like I grew up I got into music sort of I mean I was into music anyway like just mm-hmm. listening to it and but it, the playing of music and the becoming and wanting to start a band sort of came via politics because I was in the the left movement and I was in a Marxist organization and and uh, I had these political views and then mm-hmm. I had then I found punk rock and it was sort of like okay like I can I don't have to do one of these two things I can do yeah. both of these things at the same time and so often back then and I guess even now but I mean the lyrics are kind of sprinkled with things like Mayakovsky poster and you mm-hmm. know because for me it was like you know what are the things I love you know she's hammers and sickles and roses it's like what are, how, how can I make my love songs be personal to me in a way that I'm not just saying the same thing that other people used to say about yes. love songs yeah. you know? and so I've always tried to do that and I think those are the things that are very specific about like what what turns me on well Mayakovsky you know his poetry and, and all those old sort of you know, constructivist posters, that, that stuff is cool. Right. And I like her, like, I like those things, you know? Right. So I just thought that was another way in to a lot to, you know, I find Billy Bragg does the same thing sort of. And, and I for sure went to school on Billy Bragg when I was younger, like Mm -hmm. just the way he would, you know, people think of him as a political writer. I think of him as a love song writer. Okay. Then there's politics all over it, but really I think he's just like a, sentimental love songwriter well I mean even the most political of people they're still human beings yeah, the, yeah. you know Hopefully, yeah <laughs> yeah you, you are, sorry yeah you would like to think anyway it's somewhere in there there <laughs> so um, we, we mentioned it briefly before but you're doing next week you're starting these series of, sh- of shows mm-hmm. um, some of which are, are very kind of monumental 
um, for the venues, not just for the band. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to get the, the numbers wrong, so I'm going to refer to my notes here. But one of them is like the 35th anniversary of Lee's Palace mm-hmm. and the 74th anniversary of Horseshoe Tavern. Yeah. Um, which, again, features on the album, like where the venues featured in the album. Um, what is it? And also, sorry, on top of that, the 30th anniversary of Shakespeare in My Butt. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, tell me kind of what it means to you personally to be kind of have the honor to do these anniversaries for these venues. Yeah, well, the joke with us is that I, I'm like, didn't we do the 50th and the 60th? And right, you know, it's right, like okay. we've been around for so long and, and we've had an opportunity to do, I don't think we did, maybe we didn't do the 50th, but yeah, we've been asked to do a few of them. And as, yeah, yeah it's, it just speaks volumes about how how uh, foundational those bars are, as you said. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're, they're really part of like the Toronto music scene, scene would not history, be the Toronto yeah. music scene, yeah, without those venues. And then, you know, they were, they were places that, took a chance on us when we were mm-hmm. nobodies and didn't know our ass from a hole in the ground and and helped sort of nurture us. So, you know, we've always wanted to be part of that, you know, give back to that and yeah. sort of, you know, so yeah, it's, it's that. It's sort of, uh, it, it's all very weird though because, I mean, every single thing I do, uh, like, like you just had a birthday, I just turned 57 and it's like, I still feel like I'm 16 years old no mm-hmm. matter what I'm doing. Yeah. So so it's all very weird, these numbers of 75 and right. 30th anniversary of Shakespeare in my butt. Like I, it's almost like I can't process it because, I, as I say, I still feel like we started last week or something, you know? Right, yeah. We're getting the band together. Yeah. And uh, which is awesome. It's like I feel blessed to feel like that about it because I imagine... I imagine that for some people, there a, a day comes when they don't feel that anymore and yeah. they start going, shit, like, you know, what do I do? Like, I think if I didn't feel that, I would it would be hard to... Would take all the air out of the I think anyone with a, sure. a project or anything, you know, yeah. can feel that. I mean, I, just the other day, my, my girlfriend said to me, like, we're going into season five of this podcast next year. And she's like, wow, season five. That's, and I was like, yeah, it feels like I started this yesterday. Yeah. You know? And like I said, your last time we met was 100 episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I, I imagine now with the catalog of 30 years worth of albums it feels even more you know like yeah you know, and you're so close to it too right so well we had like uh two days ago this is a funny thing is like steven who's not in the band anymore but was one of the founding members of yeah. the band steven who plays guitar steven stanley he uh dropped me an email like maybe a couple of months ago and he was like again i'm gonna i'm doing air quotes here i i found i found the master tapes for shakespeare in my butt in my basement and so the two things that the first thing that occurred to me i was like i've been in your basement like what do you mean i found them like yeah, you know, yeah. We don't have a palatial estate yeah they weren't and it's five two inch reels so it's five fairly yeah. big boxes and then secondly like oh awesome you know like maybe we should rent some time like uh so we rented some time at revolution recording mm-hmm. where we've done other things uh, other recordings there and the thing about two-inch masters, for people who don't know, is that it, with magnetic tape like that that's been around that long, they're yeah. not playable uh, oftentimes, like unless you've kept them in a you know, temperature-controlled vault or whatever, mm. which Stephen had not. Right. Um, the glue starts to come off the tape or something, and, and so the, or the oxide and the glue, I don't know what it is, but it starts to come apart. Uh, so you would think, well, that's it, they're screwed. Mm-hmm. But apparently there's a process called baking, which means they literally put them in an oven... Huh. And they at a certain very controlled temperature, and apparently it readheres the oxide to the gl- to the backing. Okay. And then after that, apparently they're play they're playable like once or twice. Okay. And then they're no good forever, right? Okay. So we rented a, a Revolution recording, and they ran they ran the two inch to digital. So we now always have, have digital files of it. Yeah. But what what an amazing opportunity, and the serendipity of it is is that um, there's being there's a doc being made about the low. Right oh, okay. Too. So we're like, what a great opportunity. We can have like a behind the music. Yeah. And shoot it. And so we pulled up all the tracks from the tapes we haven't messed with or seen in 30 years with all the faders. Yeah. And it was like we could solo things like there's the vocal, there's the, you know, found some things that, that didn't make the mix or didn't, yeah. you know, it was just a very surreal and amazing so what was it like kind of going back? I mean, in general, too, but I don't just mean in this experience, but in general, when you look back at, say, Shakespeare in my butt, mm-hmm. what it what is it like for you to kind of reflect on yourself then and the music then? Um, is there something you would change? Is there... Oh, yeah, there's things I would change about it um, and probably not to the better. There's things <laughs> that I would fiddle with that I right. probably prob- don't need to be fiddled with. Right, and, yeah. And... Um, because I don't listen to that record like a fan would listen to that record, you know, like 
it, for me, it would be like somebody going in and messing around with Revolver or something. Yes, yeah. right. Oh, you know, Paul decides that he doesn't really like the this on yeah. it. I'd be like, you can't do that, you know. So as a fan, I would be highly against that kind of stuff. Yeah. As a, as an artist who was involved in it, I'm like, oh, I hear too much reverb on everything. I, you know, and it was, you know, it was made just just early enough into the 90s that I think there was some kind of 80s production mm-hmm. things still hanging on, and right. reverb was a big deal in the 80s in a way that now, like just even hearing the drier signals coming up when we heard them the other day, I was like, well, it sounds a little tougher. It sounds a little uh, punchier mm-hmm. just because there's not as much squishy yeah. reverb around it. So I would probably do all those things that, uh, you know, and the cool thing about stuff like this is that I could do that. We could mix, you know, a little EP or something yeah. just as a curious example, you know, yeah. Shakespeare naked or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. you want but, but uh, yeah, it was very... Um, and Stephen came in, as I say, Stephen's not in the band anymore. And um, <clears throat> but it was kind of beautiful to sit with Stephen and Lawrence at the board, and and because you know nothing will transport you like a time machine <clears throat> than to hear your soloed vocal from a from 30 years ago. Yeah, you know. And uh, and I was doing things like just pulling up the acoustic guitar and the vocal background stuff, just to hear what that would sound like as an acousticy kind of thing. And yeah, it was really really fun, and very surreal, and very. Uh, you know, very much like who gets to do this? You mm-hmm. know, like, this is such a weird thing to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> such a privileged and weird thing to be doing. Going over your old. Work I feel like too, it's one of those things that once you, you know, there's, there's, and you're a painter too, so you you can probably take from that aspect too that uh, with art, if you over touch it too much, it loses that. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, 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 I don't paint, but I draw a lot, and I notice that too. I'm like, oh, that, you know, that part doesn't look quite right, and you do it over and over and over, and then it, it almost looks worse. You know, yeah, it's you can like, lose yeah, the, you, you can lose, lose the, the magic, or, the magic that was there. You know, it's very fragile, right? Like, it is. Yeah. And my daughter, when she was little, it would be funny. She would come in and and I'd be painting or whatever, and she would sometimes just come in and just be. It would be such a soul crushing moment when she go. It was better yesterday. Uh, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And the kids, they don't. You know, yeah. they speak the truth (laughs) she sees right into my soul yeah yeah wow um so tell me tell me how you know how you were living over the past couple years you know with all this going on you released a solo record i know Mm -hmm. that also led to a paint exhibition so it looks i mean i mean i feel like that's what everyone needed but it it seems like you had something to to keep your focus on and yeah those they were in the forefront of my mind i think like we just talked about, you know, mm-hmm. if you have that, if you're still feeling that energy mm-hmm. and I mean, God, you know, my heart went out and, uh, to just, you know, the world abstractly, the world suffering so badly yeah. through this. And then people I knew, like people close to me and hearing sort of, um, anecdotally from, from people I know who are in the medical industry and stuff like that, that, that almost like everybody who was, or a friend of mine also said, everybody, you know, who's on meds has up their meds. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, just hearing stuff like that, I felt, you know, Jill and I sort of came through the first part of COVID with almost like I, I said, I almost feel like I have survivor's guilt or something. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like I was, you know, because I said, you know, I, I was boxing, like I started doing a, a boxing workout fairly regularly. And, uh, that was just thinking like, that's for my body and my mind and my, like my soul. And then I had painting mm-hmm. because I was also bottlenecked with, with writing. Like I already had, uh, the Duke of Assassins record ready to go. I knew that we had this double live record ready mm-hmm. to go. I have an EP that's already finished that I'm going to release, I guess, next spring. Mm-hmm. And then there's like 12 or 13 songs for another lowest little studio record. So I was so already backloaded with stuff that I mm-hmm. thought there wasn't really like, I better get up and write some songs. Right. So I got up and then I started painting and, uh, and I hadn't been doing abstractions either. That's the thing is I, I've been doing portraiture up till then mm-hmm. and the summer, either the first summer of COVID or the summer before COVID. No, I think it was the first summer of COVID. I, I read a book that my friend gave me called uh, Ninth street women, which was about all the abstract expressionist women who kind of, because of, you know, misogyny and the patriarchy kind of, Got stood in the shadows of Jackson Pollock and all those guys, mm-hmm. but who were fantastic. You know, not that they're not known. They're known and they're in the moment and stuff like that, but they just weren't lauded like the men were. Right. And so I was reading all about that, and the abstraction thing was getting... Uh, and I, and the thing about me, and when you're talking about drawing, is that my my own critique all the time I was doing portraiture is like, I, I'm like, I just want to be looser. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a bit too... I feel like I'm a bit too tight. Yeah. And I want to be looser. And so so then the abstraction thing was like, well, that's kind of a... 
rip the parachute and jump out of the plane. It's like, right. You can get too much looser than not having any ideas and just starting, you know? Yeah. So I started doing that and then that was kind of taking off and I, and I had a few series speaking of Mayakovsky. I had one, I have one called uh, conversations with Mayakovsky, mm-hmm. which is very geometric. And I feel like it's a bit of a dialogue with those early Russian constructivists mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and then I have one called beer graffiti walls, which is spray paint and punky neo-expressionist kind of stuff. So I had all these outlets, and uh, and then this series I did called Go Rouse the Ghost, which was based, there was one painting for each song on the Two Good Assassins 246 record. Yeah. So I just had a million ideas, and it was, you know, an abstraction was brand new to me, so I was kind of, had that early honeymoon on fire. So the whole first year, I was painting and painting and painting. Mm-hmm. Then I found I would post them, and they would sell. They would sell very fast, like that day or the next day or whatever. Oh, wow. yeah. So, you know, talk about upping the survivor guilt. It's like, not only am I You're thriving, thriving like, <laughs> but I'm actually not being punished economically. Yeah. And everybody else is. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it was just weird, you know. And Serb, you know, Serb got people through and helped mm-hmm. me as well. So, yeah, there was no real, other than the world, you know, coming yeah. around us. It's interesting no now. Real, I've, I've read several articles and, and um, had conversations with people that, it's like now there's like a recovery period, even though we're not even through it yet, but there's like this recovery period of readjusting to society. And yeah, like I kind of feel it. Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Um, it's, it is odd. It is odd sometimes. And and it's funny that just a year out of your life can, yeah, those muscles just start to atrophy. Yeah. And even just having a conversation and I was lucky that I was speaking to people, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm still doing this and I was still, I had loved ones that were, close by and but even still it's it's such a major major adjustment and um there is a lot like you say like people having to up their meds and even the people who are the most you know i've always been very lucky that i think my mental health has always been fairly good Mm -hmm. since since i was maybe a teenager but um and even i had you know really dark nights where i felt very alone and whatever you know it is it, it was a very interesting time and um I had a, yeah. like I had a friend very early on in, the, in COVID. We were when we were all zooming all the time. Yeah, and she said uh, she said and she lives by herself. And she said um, she said yeah I have I have a couple showers a day just to to feel something touching my body. Wow, wow. <laughs> and I was like like I just deflated. I yeah. Like, oh my god, you know. Yeah. It's so real and it's so heavy. Yeah. But I find that like even thinking about these shows, we have shows coming up in Buffalo this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like I love the idea. There, there are two twelve hundred seater, no seats, but twelve hundred capacity yep. shows sold out. It's like they're going to be fantastic. They're going to be a blast. Mm-hmm. They're in Buffalo, which is one of our biggest fan bases. On the actual night of the thirtieth anniversary of Shakespeare, okay. so I'm joking about you know maybe the earth will just swallow us all in. Yeah, but um, but I have to admit, like getting the gear and getting the van and going and crossing the border and dealing with the border it feels a little bit odd, yeah. yeah it feels daunting like kind of like yeah. Ugh, do I want to do that you know but yeah. I have to do that to get to there so right so that's the kind of thing that it, I you know two years ago it was right, let's go yeah, like, where are we getting yeah, coffee what are we doing you know yeah and now I feel like Ugh, okay yeah and I mean now I don't know if it's changed again now with this but like there's so many even just to get over to drive Oops. over the border is yeah, and the goal, like who knows? Process, yeah. Yeah, and the goalposts are moving daily, so it's like what we think right now. I mean, Friday, we don't yeah, know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. But did it feel. What was it like removing that aspect from your life, the live aspect? Like well, that's in. funny because some, somebody was asking me about, oh, it must be killing you and everything. And it was like yeah. about eight months, and I was like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really killing me. You know, right. like, but there was a. I, I sort of felt like. You know, I've been playing live at that point. Yeah. I'm like, I've been playing live for 40 years. Right. And it was like the little break. I was like, I'm not. Right. I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah. It's just, especially as I say, having another outlet, having the painting and right. just and hanging with my family at home and stuff like that. Yeah. It was kind of nice to not be loading into a van at three in the morning, you know, out yeah, of St. Catharines, you know? Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I'm totally right back into to go in You're and ready to get it, back, yeah. Yeah, I, it was I, kind of nice, uh, kind of a nice break. I th- yeah, I, you know, I, well, I was at the beginning. I was like, I, you know, I, uh, 2019 was one of the busiest years I ever had, and I remember being like, yeah, I, you know, I could use a couple week break. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, you know, that's what we all thought at the beginning, but then literally, you know, two weeks later, I was like, okay, I want my weeks. life back now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, and who knows too? Right? Like there was, I saw all kinds of memes going around about about. Um, 
and I'm, I'm, I've done it, you know, like knowing everybody I know and being a musician all this time, like mm-hmm. I've done it where it's like, you know, somebody's playing on Saturday and there's full intentions of going, but mm-hmm. Saturday I'm in my jammies and yeah, like, yeah. secures on Netflix and I'm like, yeah, well, when are they playing again? They're like, oh, yeah. they're playing in a couple of weeks, you know, like, yeah. so I've done that too. That, and I'm kind of course. hoping that maybe this is the, the thing where everybody goes, well, it can be taken away. Like I better. It is. It's true. Like in, you know, like I said, in 2019, I was all of them. I was, I was doing interviews at every VIN. So it was like a gig. I could take it or leave it, you know? And now it's like, I can go to that. I'm there. I'm I'm there. there. You know, like we went, that's how I took my girlfriend to see big wreck on the weekend. And we weren't sure if we're going to make it on time. It was like, even if we just make it for half of big wreck set, like let's go. Like, and anyways, we ended up making it in time, but yeah. Um, Tell me what you think a teenaged Ron Hawkins would have been like, you know, through a year like 2020. And I don't just mean with COVID, like yeah. I mean with everything that happened in 2020, you know, like what, you know, for you who someone has strong political beliefs, politically, mm-hmm. that was such a turmoil year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say insufferable, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Maybe you don't want you don't want to dig into that. Yeah. No, I think, I, I, you know, as I say, like, um, for better or for worse, in, in all the ways that I still feel like I'm 16, mm-hmm. I, in those ways, too, I don't feel like my ardor, if that's the right word, for this kind of, you know, my anger comes just as quickly at mm-hmm. 57 as it did when I was a teenager about this stuff. And because back in those days, like, it's it, now it seems a little bit uh, na- more naive or more, just more quaint or whatever. It's going to be weird that I say that when I tell you what I'm talking about, but my band Social Insecurity, when I was 18, 19 years old, we would do shows, uh, and as I say, we are sort of like a, I mean, if you had to lock it down, we were kind of like a Marxist uh, straight-edge band, so we didn't yes. do drugs, we didn't drink, and anything like that, and we would get, but we started to have kind of a good following, and then the promoters those days were like, they just didn't, they didn't know anything about the politics of it, of punk rock, they were just like, they're popular and this band's popular and they would put us together sometimes with these, you know, maybe not neo-Nazi bands, but definitely like, uh, racist skin, skin right. bands and stuff like that. And there would be chair fights and brawls and, you wow. know, people yeah. got stabbed at a couple of shows and stuff like that. Wow. So we were dealing with that kind of stuff, you know, and the skinhead thing was a big deal, uh, then. And, uh, you know, like Ernst Zundel, like Holocaust deniers and stuff like that. I was mm-hmm. very involved. We were very involved in those days in Toronto, um, with certain kind of alt-right, yes. I guess would later become the alt-right kind of thing. So I feel like it's the sa- almost the same, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. the same in some ways, but just now it's become so mainstream to be able to say those things. Mm-hmm. You know, those days people said that, that kind of stuff, if you were a Holocaust denier in those days, you were, you were a weird pariah, you know, niche character, mm-hmm. you know, Voldemort kind of character yeah. for most people. Nowadays, it seems like, you know, you can show up at the Capitol wearing a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt. Yeah. I mean... Not, you know, not that you can do it and not get criticized for it, but I'm just saying, like, who who would do that? Like, it's, right? Yeah. And now somebody thinks that's a good idea. Yeah. And they're surrounded by thousands of people who aren't beating the crap out of them, and mm-hmm. you know, so that's weird. You know, like I feel like that's a thing that would have been overwhelming in those days. And uh, you know, just I feel like that stuff. Like people are surprised by the right and the sort the sort of rise of fascist and like mm-hmm. I think I I feel like you know it's it's always been there I mean yeah. it's always been there and it's always been under the surface I think that's just the scary thing right now is how uh, emboldened they've been well that's it I mean I, I I was personally surprised I was like I can't believe that this kind of prejudice is still happening mm-hmm. in this year but I guess you know for one it took a leader to bring it out and mm-hmm. into public but um yeah, it is crazy, and that's that's why I asked about it, because I'm like, you know, this would have been obviously not just frustrating, I'm sure, for you, but it would have been fuel for music and whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was, and, uh, you know, the difference between maybe lowest to the low and when, I, when you were talking about people being, you know, the human side of the politics is that mm-hmm. it took me a while to learn how to write songs that... Um, you know, and this is no slight on bands like Propagandy or, like, people who use the capital P politics more up front... Mm-hmm. But I find that for me, I'm not good at that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I can do it, and uh, you know, and I might even write the odd compelling song that way. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's more artificial to me, and I was doing that, yeah, you know, okay. for a while. And then the reason I think Lois the Low took off so much, and there was a certain magic that wasn't maybe in the other bands, was was finding that balance, you know, 
mm-hmm. HP or whatever, you know, pH balance of of politics and heart and you know a person a person telling you not like a you know not like a book telling you but a person right. telling you what they feel as opposed to what they think maybe mm-hmm. do you ever express that in your paintings too yeah there's a, like, I, I think it's just inextricably i don't even know if i could stop doing it now right. it's like yeah. it's so inextricably wound up in how i think that i right. think that there's always something in there you know, some things like with painting too, like in the beer graffiti walls series I've been doing, like, uh, that one is based on like, I'm always jotting down stuff that I see mm-hmm. in washrooms and bars and stuff like okay. that. Like yeah, yeah. Graffiti that I think is cool. And you know, one was like, uh, fuck power, choose hope. I saw okay. that somewhere. So I yeah. turned that into a painting. And so some in that series, it seems like there's a lot of things that are just jumping off of a political thing. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, and but even 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 if not, you know, it's always yeah. in there somewhere. What are what are you painting these days, or are you painting? These yeah, days? yeah. I've I've, I've been uh, I did a couple of commissions, and I and then when this when the Go Rouse the Ghost show came out, which was November first, mm-hmm. and we'll go through December, I kind of stepped back a little bit just to give that some breathing room and mm-hmm. and let people just take that stuff in. But I did see it on, it's on the website, and you're able to do kind of like a digital gallery. Yeah. Is is it is there a physical? I know with right now it's different, but is there a physical version that people can go and, and take a look? No, at No, the there's not. There's not. Yeah. There was going to be, because originally it was going to be a, a three man show. Okay. Most of the low guys, David Alexander, the drummer is, went to OCAD and he's a visual artist and Greg Smith who plays bass is also a visual artist. So the three of us were going to do a, a show. I was like, when this is all over, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do this show, physical show. And then as it kept, you know, as the goalposts kept moving and we were like, it still doesn't seem like it's really clear. It's like full capacities and stuff like this. And I've, at a certain point I said to them, you know, cause these, all these paintings were sitting in storage space waiting for this, uh, real like show in the real world. And I said, you know, like, there's nobody who respects gallerists more than me. Like, I don't know who would open a gallery mm-hmm. these days, like right. know, as a business venture. Right. Yeah. So I don't begrudge, uh, galleries, the commission, but the commission is like 50%. That's sort of a standard right. art, art world commission. And that's a lot of money. I was like, I'm fine with that. If we get to have a, 300 person drunken gala opening yeah and everybody's there in person and we're all standing there and you know yeah meet everybody but i'm like if it turns out to be like call for you know a, by invitation only or something like that i'm like mm-hmm. i don't want to pay 50 percent right. commission on that like well so then i said you know maybe we'll do another one the three of us will do one when we're when it's clear when we're definitely clear and we yeah. know we're clear you know um, yeah. So and I'll and I'll try this thing because I also thought well this will be an adventure I'll try this digital gallery and see this virtual gallery mm-hmm. see how that goes and I'll admit it's not it's not been as successful it's it's weirdly not been as successful as me doing it myself on Facebook right yeah which is strange but um, and I don't know if if there's something uh, not off putting but something um, limiting about mm-hmm. having to navigate it or something I don't okay. know yeah like, I can't really explain it but. But well, it's been an experiment you learn from these things, anyways, and yeah. yeah. So hopefully someday, you know, maybe in uh, 2024 or 2023, <laughs> we'll you know we'll have a, yeah. an actual live show. It's weird to think about, yeah. Um, you know, it's the end of the year, and you know, we it's kind of the time of year for wrap ups and stuff. So tell me, you know, what music has caught your ear in 2021? Not necessarily music that was created this year, but what? Yeah, what, yeah. what have you been listening to this year? Uh, well, uh, we went on a summer um, road trip from here to Winnipeg because Jill's from Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. um, and so my daughter Ruby uh, DJs in the car. Okay. So we were like these eight-hour day drives, and she's yeah. fifteen. So I, at first, I was like, "Oh my god, she's gonna hate this." Yeah. Eight-hour drives with her parents. Yeah. Through the Canadian Shield, uh, she had an amazing time, and and uh, we just had a great time rolling across the country, listening to, you know, all kinds of stuff like uh, her Spotify. Uh, playlist and stuff like that. So there was some people on there that I, that she brought to us, uh, girl and girl in red, I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 Who was fantastic. Uh, the Olivia Rodrigo mm-hmm. record. Yeah. We were listening to, which I found, you know, usually D- Disney people aren't my go-to. Right. But there's something about that record that I really respect. I think there's a lot it's of very honest. Yeah, yeah. Very honest. I think the lyrics are, are great and the production, you know, it's funny because, um, Ruby was also when she was little, she was smaller. She was a Taylor Swift fan, mm-hmm. so she was having a bit of a renaissance, going back to some of those songs. Yeah, and I just found that the something about the production, the way the Taylor Swift songs were produced after like five or six songs, I was 
I was getting fatigued. Like yeah. there's something very pointy and uh, sparkly about them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Rodrigo record <clears throat> seemed to be warm in a way that I, I thought of like mm-hmm. much more analogy sounding. And um, there's at least a couple songs on there. I was like, the production is like, this sounds like it could be on the soft bullet and like the flaming lips. Yeah. Like the background backtracks right. are very cool, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was a big one. And then somebody, I, I can't remember what the band's called, but it, um, they have a song called uh, glass balloon, glass balloon. I think it's called, okay. <clears throat> which, which was, um, very, very uh, uh, carnivalesque, like very um, Bert Holt Brecht or something like. Okay. Very, not the woman's voice isn't Tom Waitsy, but but the sort of production, yeah. the sort of the vibe of it is very uh, um, Weimar Republic sort mm-hmm. of circus, you know, creepy yeah. circus, you know. Yeah. And that was really that's really cool. And, Did you come uh, across that band uh, Maniskin? Mm-hmm. Like an Italian, I think they're Italian yeah. band. Yeah, that was one to me that kind of stood out this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, can't, they they blew up with that cover of of Beggin, but just very unique sound and kind of that. Uh, yeah, the vocals, just the vocals for one, and then just it sounds like that kind of garagey stuff yeah. you don't really hear anymore. And yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool. Um, I also went back, like you know, because I was in and painting and stuff like that. I went back down a sort of ska rabbit hole. And, okay, yeah. And lots of selector and. Uh, Specials and and uh, and then interrupters who are yeah know, the interrupters are, you know, yeah they're fantastic and old reggae stuff and everything I was just kind of that was kind of comfort food yeah you know the ska and the reggae stuff was kind of comfort food for me and, yeah and because uh, that was the kind of stuff I was listening to back when social insecurity and popular front started and mm-hmm. everything which is also funny because when we when we brought uh, Night of a Thousand Guns and When She Falls they were two of the most popular songs. On Agipop. Oh, okay. They're both from 1988. Yeah. And then I was finding it funny that fans of Lowest to the Low, and it makes sense because they don't know the history of these songs, but they were like, oh, it's amazing. You guys are going to some new territory, like the horns and the Latin percussion. And I'm like, this is, that's actually ancient territory for, yeah. for us, you know, but just we hadn't been doing it in the low for a long right. time. So. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, before we wrap up, anything um, anything planned for the holidays? Other than, I mean, you got these big gigs coming up. So. Yeah, sort of uh, the big gigs. My mom, it's funny, my mom's like, are you going to be good for, you know, two weeks straight of, you know, Shakespeare in my butt? Because I, I always say, like, there's a, why would I write that many lyrics? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> when, when I, we do those nights in sequence of the record, it's like all this air is going out. Yes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, when did I, when did I breathe in? I can't. Right, you know, yeah. But, so uh, she's convinced that I'm like, don't worry, Mama. I've been boxing for a year and a half. Yeah, I'm gonna be fine, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then, and then the cool thing about this is, you know, we often do like a holiday show, and it's like there's a lot of excitement around the shows. And then as soon as the shows are over, it's just all family for yeah. the whole rest of the holidays. And and I will admit, I'm I'm super glad that we don't really do New Year's Eve shows anymore. We used to okay. do New Year's yeah. Eve shows every year, and I'm yeah. so over that. <laughs> I feel you there. Yeah. That's my friend Derek calls it uh, amateur hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, um, and it's, I think it's like, a, I'm very much looking forward to the holidays this year, especially after last year. Yeah. It kind of was, felt like Christmas was pretty much canceled, you know? So. Yeah. We did it. We FaceTimed with my folks. Yeah. It's, I come from a big Irish family. Like I've never done Christmas with any less than 40 people. Right. And last year it was me and my mom. And it was wow. like, I was like, this feels like Tuesday. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, we had my mom and dad on a on a little I don't know a stool or something. Yeah, like for opening presents and stuff. Yeah. So they opened theirs and we were all yeah, facing it. Strange. I, it I always wonder be, what it's gonna. It turned out to be quite sweet. You yeah, know? it was like sort of well, if this is what we're doing, let's lean into it and make right, it right. Of course, I, but, I always think what it's gonna feel like. You know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, when we look back at this year, mm-hmm. you know, they explain it to another generation that you know. Or is have you seen any of that stuff where it's like photograph? I saw a photograph, and of course these days you don't know how much is doctored and how much isn't. But yeah. this looked completely legitimate. The first time I saw all these dudes in fedoras at a football game with masks on from mm-hmm. nineteen nineteen or what, you know. Okay. And then another shot of people standing in the street, and uh, this woman was wearing a cardboard sign around her neck that said uh, "Wear a mask or go to jail." Yeah. And I was like, that sounds like it could have been last week. Yeah. And it's a wow. hundred years ago. No, it is. Yeah. I also heard a weird, uh, I read somebody listed out that there's a major pandemic like this every hundred years. Yes. And they listed it since like, yeah. ni- since like 1400 and something. Yeah. I was like, 
That seems very strange. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, yeah. I'd heard, I'd heard something like that too, and it's just like it's also just not something that's just going to go away. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, something we just have to live with. But uh, yeah, so but it is it is nice that we're kind of working our way back, and yeah. uh, you know, for me and I'm sure for you, live shows and music is something that's kind of amazing to just have for sure and that you know i realized i took for granted yeah yeah and also growing up in canada i like you know like i know the difference i know part of my like um going across the border Mm -hmm. is just how fucking weird it is down there right now Mm -hmm. and how pent up like how you know what a different dictionary definition we have of the word freedom here and there because i find that there's a you know of course we have people who are who are uptight about this and freaking out. But it's like, I feel like the general person on the street thinks of this as a responsibility to their community. And they're, you know, and it's like, well, we'll adapt and we'll do what we need to do and we'll make life as enjoyable as we can. Yeah. Whereas some places it's just like losing it, you know? Oh, like actually it's interesting. So I was in Tanzania in September and it was like just that experience was, there was so many different, feelings for me being Canadian mm-hmm. that one comparing it to the people that are live in Tanzania and two to the people that were also traveling that aren't from Canada because it was almost two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's a lot of people from the States that were like, could not believe we were in lockdown till May of this year or whatever, Yeah, you know, or even just people from Europe who are like, they are started getting back to their lives much before we did. Mm-hmm. And the same time looking at a place where we were that, hasn't even started basically dealing with this pandemic. Right. You know? Um, so it is, it's, it was interesting and interesting just traveling again that, yeah, there's a, there's still quite Nobody a bit got of punched out on the plane or anything? No, nothing like that. What was, what was weird in Tanzania was like, they, they just, they pretend like they're immune and they don't, there's no reporting of numbers. There's nothing. Wow. They, they haven't. Yeah. And I, I felt, I went to climb Kilimanjaro and so I felt safe enough cause I'm on a mountain outside that, there's not a lot of people on, mm-hmm. but there was a day I had to wait for my PCR test to come back. And I had a, a local person take me out for the day and he took me to this like hot spring. Um, and it was basically just like a big party. And <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, if, if ever a day I'm going to get this, yeah. this is probably the one. <laughs> and luckily I, I, I didn't. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, best of luck with these shows. Yeah, thank you. And um, and Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Yes. And best of luck with your continued. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Ron. Cheers. Cheers. The Adamantium. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.